0: Welcome to the Grace Harbor Church Sermon Podcast. Grace Harbor Church is located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information, visit our website at ghokc.com. If you would stand um, as we read God's Word together, Um, we are in Matthew chapter 6 this morning. Um, if you do not have a Bible, highly encourage you to follow along in your, in your Bible or in the Bible that's in the seat in front of or around you. Um, today's text on those Bibles is on page 811, page 811, Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. Any more intro? Is that Nope, that's it. Just trying to give people, give people time, give people time. Sure. Thanks, Rick. neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. Father, we ask that you would do that um, in our hearts and in our minds, that you would, um, not just in a, not just in a, in a uh, cliche way, blessing the reading of your word, may you really, through your spirit, um, bless the reading of your word um, and, uh, and, and opening our hearts and our minds um, to, to what it is that you have to say Um, in opening our our hands um, and our our hearts um, to being obedient um, to what your word teaches um, in the area of prayer um, and coming even to our Father uh, for forgiveness. And so, Lord, we praise you for what your word says, um, and we just ask, again, by your spirit, uh, not only to help us understand, but that your spirit would help us to be who you have called us to be. Um, we are fully dependent um, upon you, um, and so we we just ask in light of that that you would that you would enable us to to understand, to respond, and to obey. Praise things in uh, your son's name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. Matthew chapter six. You if you weren't with us last week, you missed kind of the the full recap. Um, it had been a couple of weeks since we had been in the Lord's prayer, and so we took a lot of time to recap, and so. On my notes this morning, I re- literally have three lines of, of um, just catching us up, um, and then we're going to jump straight into the text. And so remember, um, if you will with me, that after Jesus gives us two examples um, of how not to pray in verses 5 through 8, he enters into what we know as the Lord's Prayer or, or the model prayer. And so 5 through 8 um, is, is kind of some negative examples um, how not to pray. Um, And then in this model prayer, Jesus patterns for us what our prayers ought to look like. Um, The negative examples of prayer in verses five through eight um, include prayers that are uh, prideful that we see in the religious leaders. They're they're really kind of what underlies their prayers is pride um, and a a desire to be seen. Um, And then in in, in, in the negative example of the Gentiles, Gentiles pray faithlessly. They pray without faith because Jesus We see that because Jesus makes sure to assure his disciples in his teaching, your father knows what you need before you even ask him. And so Jesus is modeling for us here a humble, faith-filled prayer up against a prideful, um, faithless prayer. And so the model prayer is all about how to pray humbly before the father, a foundation of prayer, um, and, and faithfully in that you have a God, a Father in heaven who hears you. And so what Jesus says in today's text um, is that a humble, faith-filled prayer will ask God for forgiveness. Um, If you want to kind of understand a component of humble, faith-filled prayer, um, a humble, faith-filled prayer is one that will come to God and ask God for forgiveness. And so today, we're just gonna answer two very common questions. This text is packed um, essentially what we 're doing today is we are hitting on verse twelve um, we 're we're taking a little skip over verse thirteen, which we 'll come back to by the way um, and, and we 're going to verse twelve and then verses uh, fourteen and fifteen um, just kind of all as it pertains to the the topic of forgiveness and so what we 're going to do um, in in studying this today is we 're going to answer two common questions um, really one of these questions is a general question about forgiveness that, that most of the time the unsaved may ask, um, and then the other question is a question about forgiveness that oftentimes Christians will ask. So the first question is this, why is praying for forgiveness even necessary, just in general? Um, a lot of times, again, um, to, a, to a lost world, to a world that doesn't know Christ, um, one of the things that oftentimes we're hung up with in the world is, what do I need forgiveness from? What do I, what do I need forgiveness from? And then, and then, so the first question is, why is praying for forgiveness necessary? The second question is, do Christians need to pray for forgiveness? Very common question and very something that we will um, study. And so let's answer this first question. Why is praying for forgiveness necessary? Well, let's read the text again, um, and then we'll attempt to answer this question. Forgive us our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Hey, I don't know about you, but this is really hard to understand, isn't it? Uh, based on what we believe and what we know about justification. Um, based on what we believe and know about salvation in Christ. Um, this, when you read it initially, is very challenging. In fact, probably over the last four Wednesday morning sermon studies that we've had, we've, it, it always comes back to this verse, and we, and we just kind of wrestle with that. Which, by the way, another shameless plug for 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. If you would like to join us for study of the text, we invite you, men and women, 6 a.m. on Wednesday mornings. So join us. And so we've read the text, and then we're going to answer this question, why is praying for forgiveness necessary? And again, let me, let me just kind of frame up, there's a lot of different ways that we could go with this text. There's a lot of different conversations that we could go with this text, but one of the things that we talked about this morning that really didn't, or one of the things we talked about Wednesday morning that didn't really click with me until about Thursday is that really the context of this forgiveness is in the context of the Lord's Prayer, um, Jesus has much to say about forgiveness. Uh, Matthew 18 may be one of, his most, one of his longest and most explicit teachings on forgiveness and what it looks like in our lives, but really this topic of forgiveness today is in the context of our prayer to God. Um, and so that's kind of where we're going to come at this. We're not going to dig real deep into the overly challenging parts, um, but I think what we say today will bring some light to that. And so, why is praying for forgiveness necessary? Well, I think it's important for us to realize in this room um, that this is mostly, this hopefully mostly pertains to those who are unsaved, but even for those of us who are saved, that we often medicate our sin in different ways. Um, that, That we all really respond to our brokenness in our sin we may just not do it in a way that God calls us to. And so I want to just list a couple of those things that I thought of this week. The first is just distraction. Maybe one of the ways that we medicate our sin, especially a lost world, one of the ways that a lost world medicates sin and brokenness is distraction. That if I just keep myself busy and distracted or preoccupied with pleasures, I don't have to address my sinfulness. I I don't need forgiveness. What do I need forgiveness from? Um, in fact, the danger for Christians, the danger in the church world, which I'm, going, I'm kind of going at both, so I'm not you know, going against one or the other, that, that the danger for Christians in distraction is that, and, and this is a hard truth, is that church and religious activity may even be what we distract ourselves with in order to not deal with our sin. Um, and so maybe church and, and religious activity, maybe you live the way you want throughout the week. And then Sunday comes, and it's really all Sunday is, is not your intention of worshiping God and hearing from God and allowing God to form you. It's actually just kind of serving as a salve for your sinfulness. It's serving as a distraction from what God really saying, hey, I want to address this area of disobedience in your life. Hey, maybe the next thing that we um, medicate our sinfulness with is comparison. Um, This is easy, right? Right? we are good at viewing our sin in relation to others. We're really good at that. Um, I don't sin the same way you do. And so most of the time when I'm comparing, your sin's worse than my sin because we sin differently, but we both sin. And so we, we, we kind of get into this, this routine of comparison and we, we view our sin in relation to others rather than up against the holiness of God. Hey, who of us can stand When comparing our holiness up against the holiness of God, none, none of us can, but man, I can sure stand if I'm, you know, comparing myself to the, to the idiot beside me. Right. Uh, Not to be, not, not like in here, not, don't, don't think of that, but we compare, uh, we compare ourselves to an unrighteous standard in others rather than a righteous standard in God. Hey, another way that we, that we medicate our sinfulness is through despair, is despair. Um, and so we live in a state of guilt and shame that absolutely crushes us. We live in a continual state of, of shame that crushes us. And in our minds, what we're doing is we're elevating. And this is, I would say, this is, a, this is as much of an issue with Christians as for non-Christians. But what we do is we constantly elevate the, the power of our sin over the power of the grace of God. What we do when we live in guilt and shame and despair especially as a believer, is what you're saying is, the cross of Christ has no more power over me than this sin does. And it does. The power of the cross does. Hey, maybe another way that we medicate ourselves is by distancing ourselves. Um, isolation. All of these things, all these things that I've mentioned this morning, typically lead us to distancing ourselves, which isolates us. And oftentimes, one of the, the telltale signs of, of, of shame and sin in one's life is, a distancing of themselves from the community around them. And so we distance, we isolate. Um, and, then, and then finally, this is one that, that you're probably gonna really perk up to because I think it's really relevant today. All of these are relevant, but this is the one that seems most pronounced. Maybe the way that we medicate our sin is by redefining what sin is. We redefine what sin is. Maybe the way that you deal with it is by redefining for yourself what is right and what is wrong, What is what is right? Maybe your mind immediately goes to the culture around us and the perversity of the culture. But how often do we do this? How often do we do this for ourselves? That hey, this behavior is really not that harmful to me. This behavior is you know it's not it's not it's not affecting me the way that you know the way that everybody says it is. And so we redefine. We take upon ourselves the authority. be the arbiter of the truth and the authority in my own life. So these are some ways that we do this. And so we attest, I, I, I share all these because we all attest by our own actions and our own responses to our brokenness, we all attest that sin demands some kind of response because we're all responding to our brokenness. We're all responding in a different way. It may be harmful or it may be helpful. And so, we, but we all respond in our own different fleshly ways to our sins. And yet, Jesus shows us here in this prayer, Christians, Jesus shows us here in this prayer that the only sufficient and eternal action to be taken towards our sin is to be forgiven and pardoned by God. That's the only sufficient response to your sin. And so, this morning, this, this, the first half of this is actually just a little bit of a, of a gospel presentation. Um, that the only. The only um, sufficient and eternal action to be taken towards your sin is not to distract yourself, not to redefine for yourself what sin is, not to go into despair, but to be forgiven. To come to God and be forgiven. In fact, Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul tells us here that the righteous result of our sin, what our sin has earned, is what? Death, separation from God, but that a free gift from God exists. A free gift, payment for our sins through faith in Christ's work for us. His life, his death, his resurrection that we can be forgiven and pardoned. And let me just say this again, church, and those of you who may be unsaved, the only only sufficient and eternal action towards your sin is to be forgiven by God and to receive this free gift that he gives in eternal life through the work and the sacrifice of his son. And so what we receive through faith in Christ's death and resurrection is the forgiveness of sins because Jesus' blood has justified us before God. You wanna know what you receive through faith in Christ's death and resurrection? You receive forgiveness. You are forgiven. And so before the forgiveness, we say this a lot, especially kind of as it relates to this prayer, but before the forgiveness of sins, we only anticipate God as our judge. When you are lost in your sins and you are not a child of God because of your because of your um, insistence on doing all these different things to medicate your sin instead of being forgiven, then your anticipation of standing before God is standing before God as a righteous, holy judge who will one day cast you away. But as forgiven children of God, this is the good news, as forgiven children of God, we know God as our Father. Man, what a beautiful thing. That 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 within an instant, through faith in Christ, in his in his death and in his resurrection, in an instant, that you like you you have a position change with God. God is no longer your judge; God is your Father. Man, what a what a beautiful what a what a beautiful transition that we are are, are able to experience through faith in Christ. And so, our response to sin, just to to, to especially for those who may be unsaved. But even for those, as a reminder, for those of you who are saved, our response to sin is not distraction, not comparison, not despair, distance, or redefinition, but pardon and forgiveness through faith in what Christ has done for us. So why seek forgiveness in Christ if you have not? Because there is a debt that you owe. And the payment for the sins is death, separation from God. But there is a free gift available. That's why we need forgiveness, because we are distant from God. So the second question is this. This is what we'll take of the majority of our time. Would, I, I hate to do this. Daniel, would you give me a cup of water? My mouth is really dry. Thank you. The second question is this. Um, and this. And like I said, this is where we'll spend the majority of our time. And it's more specific to the text, not as general as what we've just addressed. The second is this. And this is where we need to really lean in. Because the majority of us are Christians here. We are children of God. And so... That we, the question that we ask that I'm going to address is very important. It's very relevant. It's very common. I hear this question a lot throughout our, throughout our sermon study the last few weeks. We've grappled with this. And so the question is this, why do Christians or do Christians need to pray for forgiveness? Is it necessary? Um, let me take a drink of water and I'll tell you the answer, okay? Thanks. So why do Christians need to pray for forgiveness and is it necessary? So let's answer the obvious easy question first. Is it necessary for Christians to pray for forgiveness? The answer is yes. Maybe some of you disagree. The answer is yes. So that's easy and obvious because it's what Jesus models for us in this prayer. It's what the text says. So as Jesus is giving us a model and a pattern for prayer, this is what he says. Forgive us our debts. As we have also forgiven our debtors, so the easy and obvious question directly from the text, because Jesus commands it is that yes, we pray for forgiveness, even as Christians. Um, it is what the early church, after the earthly ministry of Jesus preached, see acts chapter two verse thirty eight peter's preaching, and he um, calls for the forgiveness of sins, and yes, that is for salvation but Later in the Bible, in the first letter of John, John also teaches it. He also assumes that we will come before God confessing, repenting of our sins as Christians. The book of First John is a book written to believers. John explicitly states that a couple of different times. This is written for the children of God. This is written so that those of you who are children may have certainty. And so now, what may not be so easy and obvious is fully, understanding, um, is, is fully understanding that in light of what we know about the nature of salvation and the forgiveness for the remission of sins. And so the, the, the tension here is this. If we have been forgiven of all past, present, and future sins, which we fully affirm here, I'm going to say that again, Christian, you have been forgiven of all past, present, and future sins, period. Not a question that's a period. That's justification before God. And so if we've been forgiven of all past, present, and future sins, why then must we ask for forgiveness? Well, here's what I want to kind of explore this morning. Um, and I, I hope that if there's disagreement, you'll, you'll talk with me and we'll, we'll kind of walk through this together. The mistake that we often make as Christians um, is thinking about our salvation only as salvation from rather than salvation to being saved, we we think about being saved from, right? I mean, for those of you who grew up like me in a highly evangelistic um, group of churches that, man, like every night at camp, you got saved five times. Um, Thursday night, you needed it twice. Um, And then you came off the camp high and you went back the next summer. And so, man, all through high school, I mean, surely I've been saved about 65 times. Um, And so, a lot of times the way that we're taught salvation and even evangelism is all about being saved from hell, which is obviously a big deal. We will, let me affirm that. That's a massive component of salvation. That is what we are being saved from. But the mistake that we often make that we carry on throughout our lives that causes us to have an underdeveloped view of God and our salvation in the Bible is that we think about salvation as being saved from rather than being saved to a new way of life. And so certainly we experience salvation from sins and hell, but we put little emphasis on salvation to a new way of living. And so one way that we might put this theologically, if you want some theological fancy terms, one way that we might put this is that we have a healthy understanding of justification. We understand justification, which is a legal term that, that refers to our standing before God in a legal sense. So God as a judge legally, we have been justified and our legal standing before God is such that we have been justified before him through the finished work of Christ. And so what we have an unhealthy understanding of, and man, the Lord crawled all over me this week as I just happened to come across 1 John. I've read 1 John a lot, but as I read 1 John this week, something came alive. We have a healthy understanding of justification and an unhealthy understanding of fellowship with God. And we've, like, justification, we've got it nailed, especially as Baptists, right? Presbyterians, Baptists, those, those people have justification down. But when it comes to fellowship with God, we have a, I mean, I, I, I say this somewhat somberly, church, we have a very underdeveloped understanding of the fellowship that we share with God, um, which, which deals with our communion and our relationship with him. And both of these things, our justification before God and our fellowship with God are both sides of life with Christ that are extremely vital for walking with him. In fact, Colossians, if you wanna, let's look at the justification side. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this about our justification. If you wanna go there, you can. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15 And what we can see from the scriptures as a whole is that the legal demands of our sins have been fully and sufficiently satisfied in what Christ has done for us through his death and his resurrection. Your legal standing before God is one of justified. God looks at you. He looks at at you through the lens of what Christ has done. And he says, that person has been justified. Justified but we also are saved from sin not only to be justified before God, but to enjoy fellowship with God. In fact, we have a whole letter from John about, we, we have a, hold on. Oh, we, we have a whole letter from John not about our justification. We have a whole letter from John about our fellowship with God. I mean, he says that in verse three. First John, you, you're gonna need to go to first John. Let's do that, All right. Uh, starting today, we are starting a new series on 1st I'm just kidding. We're not. We might someday, though. Go to First John. Uh, if you're using the Black Bibles in front of you, it's uh, page 1021. It says out of the gate in verse 3, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father. And with his son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John is writing a letter to Christians about what fellowship with God looks like. Paul is the master at writing books about justification, right? Paul's got the Apostle Paul. If you want to understand the doctrine of justification, Paul's your guy. He's going to go to bat through Romans, um, Galatians, through many places. Colossians, where he's going to help us develop a healthy understanding of our legal standing before God through our justification. And what John is setting out to do is to encourage believers in their fellowship with God. And so just hang with me here. And so Like I said, it's within this letter, right out of the gate, that John indicates that a vital part of the fellowship that believers share with God is confession and repentance. You see that in 1 John 1, 9? Let's read that. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because of what the rest of the book of 1 John says, I can confidently say that what John is stating there is intentionally geared towards believers. It's for Christians. And so John is at least alluding to a practice of believers who desire to be in fellowship with their father, that they will be confessing their sins. Now, is God faithful and just towards unbelievers who place their faith? Yes, absolutely. But let's not pull away from the context of this that what John is saying is that he is Talking about our fellowship with God, and so John is saying that a vital part of the fellowship that believers share with God is confession and repentance and forgiveness from sins that harm the fellowship we share with our Father. And so, let me tell you something, church family. Man, I want us to get this. I want to like. I want to understand this, almost almost in an emotional way. I've 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 asked the Lord to help me in this area because he's just opened my eyes to what the book of John is is teaching. And I wanna tell you something. I wanna encourage you in something. And it matters tremendously and eternally. God intends and has designed us to enjoy and to pursue fellowship with him. We so often treat our walk with God as some transaction that's happened in the past. And man, as far as that transaction of justification is concerned, you're right. There's something to rejoice in. It's worth celebrating. You're saved and you are secure and you are kept. But we treat our relationship with God in a way that God never intended for us to treat it because we have such a a healthy understanding of our justification before God and we are malnourished in our understanding of the fellowship that God desires to have with us. And so, if you're a child of God, this, I'm going to tie this all back here in just a second to, to this prayer. If you're a child of God, it is possible to be saved, but out of fellowship with God. I think John tells us that. First John, that's the, that's the whole book. I, I, I've read First John so many times and I've thought, oh my goodness, if I'm, if I'm kind of weighing this up against my justification, I'm doomed. Because there are times where I walk in sins. There's not times where I love my brother. And I think what John is saying is, if you want to walk in fellowship with God in the way that he has intended you to walk in fellowship, then that includes confession of sin, asking God for forgiveness when you sin, loving one another well, not walking in the darkness. And so I think it's important for us to understand this. In fact, I think what this whole prayer is, the Lord's Prayer I think it's a prayer of fellowship with our Father. That's why Jesus starts it the way that he does. Our Father, not not our God, which God is our God. Don't ever hear what I'm not saying. God is our God, not our holy, righteous king. God is our holy, righteous king and ruler. But no, this whole prayer, Jesus lays a foundation and a basis for our prayer. That's why he starts the prayer the way that he does, our Father, because it has to do with fellowship with God as our Father. And so there are some in here today, including myself at times, who are not in fellowship with God. So John in his first letter, verse, verse one, chapter one, verse nine, I think John addresses both the fellowship and the justification aspects of forgiveness. And so Let's just kind of walk through one nine real quick. First John one nine. If we, and I'm going I'm, I'm gonna, I've got some parentheses up here. If we believers confess our sins, God is faithful as a father in fellowship with us, and just as a judge, and legally our justification to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our sins. So Christians. This is an assurance that when you confess your sins, you have a father who will forgive you. God is both faithful, I think, I, I don't know, I need to do some deeper study here. So just bear with me and if I'm wrong, I'll, I will admit that. Um, I think when, when John says faithful and just, John is trying to make sure that we understand the fellowship side and the, the, the legal side of, of God. So God is faithful as a father To forgive us, but he is also just as our judge to forgive us when we confess our sins. If God did not forgive you, Christian, when you confessed your sins, God would not be faithful to you as a father, and he also would not be just towards you. Because Christ has paid for your sin. That's what that's justification. Christ has paid for it. And so if you come to God asking for forgiveness and God refuses or fails to forgive, God has forgotten what Christ has done for you. And so God is faithful because we are in fellowship with him, but he is also just because the legal demands have been met as children of God. And so God is not only concerned with us as legal recipients of his pardon, he is also concerned with us as recipients of his love as our father. Man, what a beautiful thing. And I will just tell you this, that if, you, if, if, if we are in any kind of habit or idea that when we sin, we don't need to go to God for forgiveness, then I would just challenge you and say that maybe your fellowship with God is severely lacking because God desires fellowship with us. And so, as Christians, we do ask God for forgiveness of sins. We do repent. And if we don't, we essentially say, John goes on to say, we essentially say there is no sin in us. And John says that if we have, then then John says that we have not only lied, but we've made God a liar. Hey, I'm a Christian, and let me confess before you and before God there is sin that dwells in my body. I still wrestle with sin. Don't we all? And so that's why, man, the, the, the writers of the scriptures, John here, James later, they won't only make an ordeal of confessing our sins to God, they'll make an ordeal of confessing our sins to one another. We confess our sins to God and we confess our sins to one another. And then, and then I can't leave us off in First 1 John 1.10 because we've got, to, we've got to read the beginning of chapter 2. Can we do that? My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin oh, this is good. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Man. And so, let's summarize. Let's summarize real quick. Our justification relates to our legal standing before God, and our justification is based on nothing but the finished work of Christ and our faith in his death and resurrection. Faith in the death and resurrection of Christ justifies you before God. Man, isn't that wonderful? Like, you don't gotta do anything. You don't gotta do nothing. You don't gotta do anything except for to place your faith in the death and the resurrection of Christ. Our fellowship with God can be evaluated by our habit our humility, and our willingness to confess our sin before God. And so, listen, God's not only wanting to save you from hell, God's wanting to save you into a life of fellowship. King James Version, I believe, uses the word communion with God. 1 John 1, 3, it says, our communion is with God. There's a, a, an amazing, a wonderful uh, book by a Puritan, John Bunyan, um, I think it's John Bunyan. It's just simply called Communion with God. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's like a 300-page book on pretty much these first three verses of 1 John, the communion that we share before God. And so there's another question that we must answer that the text does raise for us, and it's this. How does our justification and fellowship with God impact the way that we relate with one another and extend forgiveness to others? Well, Jesus says it has a lot to do with it that our willingness to forgive others has implications on those the world being able to look and look at us as justified people who are in fellowship with God. And so Jesus teaches that it is our understanding of justification, your legal standing before God, and our standing in fellowship with God that can be evaluated based on how willing we are to forgive others. This is where you're like, okay, you know, I, I was with you on the justification fellowship part, but now you're like stepping on my toes. You're getting up in my business. Because we're, we're talking about, you know, it's, it's, it's easy kind of to, to allow justification and fellowship with God to remain kind of in the clouds, theoretical, right? Um, one of the things that I love about, one of the things that I don't love about um, the use of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in a lot of weddings it's great, by the way, is that it's, it's so easy to keep 1 Corinthians 13 love chapter kind of just theoretical. But something that I joked with Lindsay about a few years ago is like, what happens when your wife asks you to go in the attic 10 times in one day? Then love is patient, right? It's, it's easy to keep things kind of theoretical and in the clouds. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, hey, you can't keep your justification in your fellowship with God it's up in the clouds. When he says, forgive others. When he says, if, when he says in Matthew chapter six, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Hey, this is Jesus saying, get your head out of the clouds and realize that justification and fellowship with God has real life, costly, humbling, consequences and implications. And so if you refuse to forgive, are you unsaved? I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think Jesus is necessarily saying that. Now, that might be the case, right? Um, and an unsaved person, I don't know about you, I've seen lots of unsaved people really good at forgiveness. Is forgiveness of others what saves you or what unsaved you? No. Faith in Christ, death, and resurrection is what saves you. Remember that. And so if you refuse to forgive, are you unsaved? Maybe, but I think the case likely may be that you are not in fellowship with God. John talks about hating our brother. He says, if you, if you hate your brother, you are not walking in the light. You are not in fellowship with God. Does it mean you've lost your salvation? No, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I'm just, I'm just saying that we need to have a high view of what fellowship with God looks like. We, it, maybe you're thinking like, whew, my refusal to forgive my brother, thank God it doesn't mean that I'm not saved. Can I just tell you what that attitude reveals in us? That we have a very low view of what fellowship with God looks like. And that's, that's not maturity. That's not spiritual maturity. I've been there. I, it's like, what's the bare minimum? What's the, what's the irreducible minimum of following God? Well, there that. Our our faith rests in our faith in Christ and what he's done for us. But a a good way of evaluating where we are with God is where are we in our fellowship with him? And so a quick word on forgiving others. Um, Forgiveness of others is first a command of God to the child of God. Um, Church, if you need need counsel in this area, um, please seek it out. Seek it out by, you're welcome to come talk to me or, or any number of people even here in this room. Because the, the reality of the pain that can be caused by the actions of someone else in your life can be deeply significant and deeply harmful. But one of the ways that you will be counseled by us as people who are attempting to be as committed and dedicated to the word as we can, even when it costs us, even when we don't like it. One of the ways that we will counsel you is that your father in heaven has commanded you to forgive those who are seeking forgiveness. It's a command. And so maybe you're thinking, there's no way I can do that. Well, the second thing I want you to know is that a work of the Holy Spirit, um, forgiveness of others is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Only the spirit of God can soften your heart towards those who have most deeply offended you. You wanna wanna know what's so gracious about God that the very thing that he commands here, he provides a way and a means by which to do it, and that's his spirit. And then thirdly is this, and this is really practical. Forgiveness of others is possible. I just tell you that? It's possible to forgive that person in your mind right now that you're thinking I could never forgive them. Um, again, maybe, maybe the, the person that you're thinking of is someone who, who, again, has caused to you very real, great, deep harm. And I don't wanna make light of that at all. Um, it, it's possible that what a person has done against you or against someone that you love is, is something that requires civil justice, can I just say to you that in, a, in, a, in as loving way as I can, it is possible to extend forgiveness to that person. It is possible for you in your heart, through the work of the Spirit of God, through the command of God, to come to a place where you can forgive that person. And forgiveness will come from a high view of our justification before God, that I was a sinner, that Romans 5, even while I was in sin, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it comes from a high view of justification and it comes from being in fellowship with God. And so the scriptures will continually teach us the importance of our fellowship with others being a litmus test for our fellowship with God. And so you wanna know what your fellowship with God looks like? What does your fellowship with one another look like in the areas of forgiveness? in the areas of patience, in the areas of long-suffering. Both our justification and our fellowship with God are miraculous. The fact that sinners can be reconciled to a holy God is life-changing truth, right? So relish in that truth, but that we can then have fellowship with him, not merely as a judge and holy God, but as a father is remarkable. Man, the, the, the truth that we can be saved by God should Obviously, it does. It changes our lives. But that we can move on into a deeper relationship with God is amazing. Our justification before God is is, is unmoved. Our justification before God is unmoved. We are saved, we are secure, but our fellowship with God can suffer. And this should and must allow us to breathe a deep sigh of relief. Rejoice, yes. The, The Christian, you are secure in Christ. But don't be unmoved. Let me say this challenge one more time. Don't be unmoved by being out of fellowship with God. May the Lord through his spirit really convict us this morning. One of the ways that we are out of fellowship with God as the text says is that we do not confess our sins. That we do not ask God for forgiveness for something. I and mean, there's so many benefits of asking God for forgiveness. Can I just say like it, it lifts a weight off your shoulder it allows you to be reminded of the of the of the of the the forgiveness and the pardon that we have it's such a, a beautiful thing and so i just i end with this question is church family are you enjoying fellowship with god today have you become so convinced that we need not convent, that we need not confess our sins that it's actually unintentionally caused you to overlook and underestimate sin Because that's one thing that happens in my life is that if I become convinced that I don't need to confess my sin, then actually I become numb, more and more numb and more and more callous to my sin. But when I am bringing my sin before God and being assured that I have his forgiveness and his pardon, man, it, it really does something even to the way that I view my sin. And so are you enjoying fellowship with God? When we are familiar with confession, We are in fellowship with God and we maintain a seriousness towards our sin. And so Jesus here really graciously in his model prayer in what seems to be very important tells us to ask our father in heaven to forgive us of our sins, to forgive us our debts. And the Bible makes it clear that this ought to be a habit for us in our fellowship with God.